It would be remiss of me if I did not take just a moment to say thank you to the elders and Brother Steve Tandy and anyone else who had a hand in the invitation to allow me to be with you today. If my calculations are correct, this is the fifth uh, Memorial Day weekend that I've been privileged to uh, be your speaker. And I really, really always look forward to it. And today when I got to see uh, some other former preaching colleagues, that really made me feel at home. Uh, it's just uh, really great. Brother Marshall Keeble is known as a great, respected gospel preacher. He traveled our country of the United States and Africa extensively in his, uh, in his ministry. And after he had died, I saw in print that he was directly responsible for 50,000 baptisms in his lifetime. You figure, a thousand a year for 50 years. He is known because of his ability to get his point across in a way that you just never forgot it. It was my privilege as a young preacher at Oklahoma Christian to hear Brother Marshall Keeble one time, and I still remember. I still remember. Well, one time he made a very dynamic, dramatic statement that stayed with me. I, put, I read it. It was in print. But that statement was, wise birds don't roost on rotten limbs. I don't know if he developed that as a theme or not. But one day, not all that long ago, I thought of that and I said, I've just got to develop a sermon entitled, Wise Birds Don't Roost on Rotten Limbs. I know one thing. Brother Marshall Keeble was not talking about birds. He was talking about wise people not building their lives and putting their trust in things that would let you down. Today, I want to indelibly imprint upon your mind the fact wise birds don't roost on rotten limbs. What I plan to do is we will look at four rotten limbs that the world generally trusts or lives for only at the end of life to learn that that has let them down in a very real way. And that will be the bulk of my sermon. I don't want you to get excited when most of my time is over and I'm still on those four rotten limbs. But then very briefly, we will look as we turn to what God has to say and we will see that wise people don't build or roost their lives on rotten limbs and what the wise people do. And then I will reiterate wise people don't roost on, uh, uh, wise birds don't roost on rotten limbs. And then I will uh, challenge us to be wise because if we are not wise, we are otherwise. All right, the very first rotten limb is pleasure, sinful 
pleasure. As I was preparing the sermon, I read uh, a statement that said, Nothing takes pleasure out of life more than putting, uh, more surely or quickly than putting too much pleasure into it. Uh, Twenty years ago, Janet and I were, went on a cruise, and as we were getting off of the ship, uh, two women were behind us, and I heard one woman say to the other, We had fun. And I thought, you know, there's two things wrong with that. Uh, of course, first of all, that's the attraction of the world. Fun, let the good times roll. I mean, that type of thing. But what's wrong with that is the word had. We had fun. That's past tense. Doesn't last. And then I thought of the Scripture. I'm in Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 25, where we're told that by faith, Moses, when he was of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the children of God than to enjoy, and here's the key, the pleasures of sin for a season or for a short time. I got out my 26th translation New Testament, and I looked up that phrase, and I found that it was variously translated transient pleasure, or temporary enjoyment of sinful pleasure. Now, I don't want you to think that the Bible is against people enjoying life or uh, enjoying pleasure. Uh, That's not the point. The point is sinful pleasure. And if you're following, uh, you, you don't have an outline. I'm Normally, I pass out an outline. So I started to say, if you're following in the outline, here I am. But there is no outline. I'm sorry. But uh, I thought a congregation of this size probably it would be more trouble than it would be worth. But I normally pass out an outline. And the, the man that's running the, uh, the PowerPoint uh, has that outline. I guess if you would like to, for him to copy that outline for you, you can, uh, he would not mind doing that. You can have the outline. But uh, William Barclay has a book entitled Ethics in a Permissive Society. I'll repeat that because it's, it's a very good book. Ethics in a Permissive Society. And in the first chapter of that book, He helps us to determine how we decide whether a pleasure is right or wrong, whether it is sinful or not sinful. And uh, he has a list, he lists six common sense guidelines. And I think it would be beneficial for us to go through those six uh, beneficial guidelines as we try to determine what pleasure uh, would be sinful and what would not be. His very first guideline says, No pleasure can be right if its effects on a person who indulges in it are harmful. He goes on to say, Any pleasure which leaves a person less physically fit, less mentally alert, less Morally sensitive is wrong. He's absolutely correct. I wonder, if we did a little brainstorming, what we would say falls into 
that category. Certainly, drugs and alcohol is probably the most abused of the drugs, but to that you could have uh, overeating, promiscuous sex, and, and you make your own list. All I'm saying is that no pleasure is right if its effects are harmful. That is sinful. Number two, actually, I'm not through with number one. And I think it very important that, oh, yeah, I am I'm through with number one. No pleasure can be right if its effect on others is harmful. And we, we won't go on and develop that. Number three, a pleasure which becomes a, an addiction can never be right. And Barclay really has, says there are only two questions. Do I possess it or do, does it control me? And I really think that is an excellent question. Anybody now who is 10 years old and up, and you might even go down to 8 or 9 because people are doing things younger these days. Um, if you would just do what I'm getting ready to suggest, it will change your life. There are a lot of the things that the devil tries to use to hook us. You know what a fish hook is, and it's got a bait on it. You don't, the fish doesn't see the bait. Many of us have tried things like perhaps tobacco, and it was repulsive. And we said, oh, I could never get hooked on that. And I have also a sermon entitled, Famous Last Words of a Fool. That's a song, but that's true. Famous Last Words of a Fool. If its history is that it is addictive, and there are people that, that are addicted to it, they don't want to give it up, leave it alone. Now, I've got a scripture for you on that one, too. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. Underline that in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. I will not be mastered by anything. If young people would just make up their mind, I am not taking into my body anything that is known to be addictive, will change your life. A sinful pleasure is a rotten limb that will let you down. Number four in uh, Mr. Barclay's list, a pleasure is wrong if to enjoy it, the essentials of life have to take less than their proper place. You see, there are a lot of things that are okay, whether it's bowling or whatever. There are a lot of things that are okay. But if they get to the point that you spend money on those things to the point that you don't take care of the bare essentials, then something is wrong with this picture. And the tail has now, is now wagging the dog, so to speak. So, if it is something that, the, that causes you to spend money on that rather than the essentials of life, that is a sinful pleasure.
Number five, any pleasure which can be a source of danger to others must be carefully thought about. And then lastly, the ultimate test of any pleasure is, does it or does it not bring regret to follow? And that pleasure which brings regret is wrong. So, let's just summarize by saying, do not trust any sinful pleasure. It is a rotten limb, and wise birds don't roost on rotten limbs. Number two, to place our trust in material things is also a rotten limb. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. So, life is not things. As I remember years ago, Brother Avon Malone preaching a sermon entitled, Life is Not Things, and that is so true. Well, after Jesus had made this statement in Luke chapter 12, he then tells the uh, familiar parable of the rich farmer, and uh, how he had more goods than he knew what to do with. He says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I know what I will do. I'll tear down my barns. I want to build greater barns. And there I'm going to bestow all of, all of my goods. And I'll say, uh, you have uh, sold, so take your ease, eat, drink, and marry. You have many goods stored up for, or much goods stored up for many years. But that night, verse 20, the Lord called him a fool, saying, Tonight, your soul is required of you. Then, whose shall these things be? And verse 21 gives, does a, uh, a, an application. And this is the real problem. It said that he was not rich toward God. He had placed his trust in material things. And so... Here's what I want you to see. All the things that you can see or touch or hold, feel, whatever, all of those must be thought of as a rotten limb that can let you down and you don't put your trust in those things. Now, the text that was read a moment ago is 1 Timothy Chapter 6. And I want to go back there as I reiterate what we're discussing at this point in the lesson. I'm in 1 Timothy 6, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard Translation, beginning with verse 7. For we have brought nothing into this world, also we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and, and uh, covering, with these we shall be content, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang.
But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay, uh, take hold on the eternal, uh, the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And how then I want to give you a couple of illustrations that I hope you'll never forget. Ada Candler was the founder of Coca-Cola. And in his lifetime, he, because he was wealthy, he became quite wealthy, uh, he became known as a big game hunter. When Ada Candler died, many of his prize uh, things that he had taxidermied and all of that, uh, was put into a mausoleum in Atlanta, Georgia. These were considered his trophies. And I would imagine they are still there to this day. But the point is, they were taken as far as they possibly could to be close to his physical remains. However, he was not able to take them with him. And so, to put our trust in those things is not wise. Charles Hodge is a, another preacher. I love his writings. He's written several books and has been very prolific uh, in his writings. A few years ago, he was asked to be the keynote speaker in Little Rock, Arkansas. And in that keynote address, he tells of having a meal with what he called a fallen preacher friend. Brother Charles writes, being wined and dined, I cried. A fallen preacher friend of mine was giving me the royal tour. He had lost his pulpit, his family, his conscience, his name, and yet his talents quickly put him back on top in the business world. We had a great meal. We drove around in the luxury car, visited his many possessions. It was quite impressive. I never felt comfortable. I didn't know what to say. Then I blurted out, you have some impressive possessions. And then he, with tears in his eyes, confessed, these are substitutes for what I lost. Brother Hodge, Hodge uh, goes on, it was so hollow, empty, meaningless. Dollars cannot satisfy a soul. The Trump Tower is no substitute for a faithful wife and kids. The man works harder to obtain substitutes than to keep the real. Wow. A fallen preacher. The bumper sticker is a humorous summary of the way the world values things. Whoever has the most toys when he dies wins. And all I got to say is, really? You realize what that just said? 
Whoever has the most toys when he dies wins. He left it all. And I think of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. As he urges us, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, no, for where your treasure is, yes, there will your heart be also. That's what our Lord said. Uh, Monopoly. Many of us, we don't play Monopoly much anymore, at least uh, I, I haven't. But we're familiar with, most of us are familiar with the Monopoly game. And I, I really believe that uh, a valuable lesson can be learned at the end of the game when uh, we uh, gather everything uh, together, put it in that little box, and put the lid on it. And uh, in a real way, that's a reminder of the way our lives are when they're over. It's not going to matter how many railroads or utilities or even boardwalk that you owned. It isn't going to matter. So, let me say, wise birds don't roost on rotten limbs, and to place our trust in material things is a rotten limb. Number three, a rotten limb is to trust in this life and to think that we're just to go, going to go on living. Jim Anderson is a man that I used to know as when we were both very young. He went on and became a medical doctor. He lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Some of you may at least have run across him. I know um, earlier I was talking to someone that in the church, it's a, it's a pretty small family. And we, somebody knows somebody that knows somebody, and, and we all connect. But anyway... In 1996, Dr. Anderson's wife, Kathy, and two daughters were, had, a, had a terrible car wreck. Uh, and it was reported in the, in the uh, uh, bulletin, uh, the Garnet Road Bulletin there uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, they were, uh, Kathy and the girls were just riding along. Everything was going great. They were listening to a cappella, a tape on, on the uh, that had been taped there, and uh, everything was going great, and suddenly there was a wreck. The car rolled three times, uh, actually two and a half, and uh, dumped the girls out on the side of the highway, and when the car stopped rolling, Kathy was, was pinned inside. The doors were, were not able to be opened, and she was hanging upside down uh, with the, pinned with the seat belt. Gasoline was running all over the car, and it was still, uh, it was just imminent that, uh, and this wasn't television because they weren't sure uh, if they were going to get her out. And, and minutes uh, were going to tell whether she would live or die. And during that time, a cappella continued playing on the tape player. And uh, what it said was, your, li- your life is greater than or better than love. Your life is better than love. With tears, Dr. Anderson later told the story, and he expressed thankfulness in the fact that Kathy did not have a Christopher Reeve-type 
injury that would cause her to be permanently uh, paralyzed, that, uh, that that was not the case. Uh, but really, as he said this, he said, this accident screams volumes. Two things. Number one, life hangs by a thread. I want you to think about that. Life hangs by a thread. And number two, life is filled with constant potential losses. We must not trust this life. James 4 and verse 14 says, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Nothing in this life is permanent. Even trees, even trees die. I think of athletes and how they lose their ability. The last time I saw Muhammad Ali on television, he has Parkinson's now, and he was just a shadow of the fighter he once was. That is Muhammad Ali. Surgeons lose their dexterity. Preachers lose their dynamic appeal. Homemakers, who used to be great cooks, can't cook anymore. And all I'm telling you is, don't put your trust in the fact that you have abilities and that you are alive. That's a, that is a... Rotten limb, that will let you down. And then a a fourth rotten limb is false religion. I will not go on and develop that a lot, but let's simply say that false is the opposite of being true. Hebrews 13 and verse 9 warns, Do not be carried away by varied and uh, strange teachings, uh, the King James says doctrines. A stranger is a person that I've never met. A strange doctrine is something that's taught that you don't find in the Bible. And people, there's a lot of that going on out there. And so that is a rotten limb. It will let you down. Colossians 2 and verse 8 says, See to it that no man takes you captive through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world and after... Uh, the elementary principles of the world, and not after Christ. Uh, We know that the Lord has a way that is right and cannot be wrong. Amos 3.3 says, How can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't walk with somebody and going down the the road in the opposite direction. And a a statement that I have made a lot of times as as I discuss the scriptural principles with people is, We might both be wrong. If we disagree, we might both be wrong. But we cannot both be right. And so what we need to do is to search it out for ourselves. What is right? You know, Acts 17.11 says that those at Berea were more noble than those at Thessalonica, for they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And that would be my Uh, My appeal, let's individually, don't take any man's word for it, individually search what God wants. There is a pattern there, and let's follow that pattern. And I will just say this, 
Uh, we in the Lord's Church are trying to follow the pattern, whether it's an organization, worship, plan of salvation, whatever it is. Seriously, seriously, if the Bible tells us to do something and tells us how to do it, we're going to do it however the Bible says. And we're going to leave a lot of the, of the, of the uh, uh, conjecture up to others. We're not going there. Okay, now we're ready for our goal. Our goal should be to be a wise person. James chapter 3 and verse 13 asks the question, Who is wise in understanding? And the answer is, the one who follows what the Lord wants. I think of Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus is telling uh, the parable of the wise and foolish builders, the wise man, and the, the kitty song is correct, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And so, we as God's people, if we're going to be wise, are going to build upon the rock the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures are uh, replete with other statements of what a wise man does, Proverbs 10, verse 19, a person who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 11, verse 31, who wins souls is wise. And we could go on and on. But let me, in conclusion, just ask you a question. Are you wise or otherwise? Do you want to be a wise person, then build your life on principles you know are correct. It very well could be that there is someone here today who would like to get your life right. You've been thinking about it, but let me say it's not wise to procrastinate and put off either. And if you have a spiritual need that we can assist you with, whether it is to confess with your mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as you repent of your sins, to then to be immersed into Christ for the remission of those sins, to be raised to walk a new life, that's wise. Or if it's to confess or to ask prayers, whatever your need might be, we encourage you to come while together we stand and sing.